The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. We finish out the week with a look at the Charlotte Hornets. Let's call them the New Orleans Hornets. You live, you live long enough and you get everything jumbled up in your mind. In any event, happy Friday, everybody. You made it to the end of the week. July the 23rd, we finish up. Again, I've lost track of where we're at. Are we over 50 shows now, or is this the, this the 50th of the offseason? Boy, I've really lost my ability to speak today. All right, we'll count it out at the beginning of the show. This has become a rich tradition because I'm too dumb to actually write it down. That's three weeks to there. Four, five, six, seven, uh, eight, nine, ten. Yeah, there you go. This is show 50 of the fantasy offseason, and it's show three of the actual offseason. But here's the beautiful part, as I've said all week long. We are less than two weeks now from the moratorium free agency stuff, which basically is when we start to find out where people are going. That's pretty sweet. Because, in a glorious twist, we're not yet even done with the first of our three Eastern Conference divisions, and that'll roll us right up to free agency. I am Dan Vespers, and this is Fantasy NBA Today. You guys probably know that because it's the dead of the offseason now. And anybody that's listening to this show, you guys are the D-Gens that have been with us for a very long time. But they say, treat every show as if one new person is listening. And I hope, beyond hope, that that's the case for every single show we do. So hello to everyone that's come back. Hello to the one new listener today. (laughs) You're out there. I know you're out there. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, new listener, at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Hoopball, our benevolent overlords, that's hoop-ball.com, at Hoopball Fantasy, or at Hoopball Tweets on Twitter. Again, mine is D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. I want to stress at the beginning of this podcast how much I want you guys to make sure you don't miss the HoopBall loyalty program, which runs until, and now we have the official date, it ends on August the 16th, that's a Monday, so you have about three weeks? No, that's not right. One, two, three, yeah, a little over three weeks to take part in this promo, which if you're already on a subscription, just let it ride. If you're not... Hop on now because the prices go up on August 16th. And once they're up, if you're not a member on that day and then you sign up to become one afterwards, you can't get the promo anymore. And the promo is if you are a member before that or if you sign up to become a member before that, meaning you might have one already or you're thinking about adding a membership of some kind, you can keep that price forever provided you just let it stay on. And believe me, it will pay for itself if you plan on doing fantasy sports for more than one or two years. Easily. I know you're thinking, Dan. You're thinking, Dan, I'm not going to use my fantasy pass for about three months in the offseason. Yeah, but guess what? Because you keep the old price, it's you know break even for whatever it is, a year or two of price increases, things like that. Every 
price hike after that, you save money by having left the old one on year round. And that's just the fantasy pass. If you're talking hoop ball 360, meaning the folks that wanted to get the B150 the earliest of anyone, it'll pay for itself within like the first two months that you don't that you leave it active by keeping the old price. So trust me when I tell you this. If you're on the B150, stay on it. If you're thinking about getting it, do it now. Don't wait until the price goes up because then you'll get drilled. And if you're on the Fantasy Pass, do it now and you'll see savings uh, by letting a ride for a year or two. That's it. It's as simple as that. That's the Hoopball Loyalty Program. But let's talk about the Charlotte Hornets. That's what we're into today. They're a fun young team, made some strides this year, got themselves into uh, the play-in tournament, which it sounds like is sticking around, and they have plenty of salary cap space which I know might strike people as a, a tiny bit of a surprise because they just gave this bloated contract to Gordon Hayward, who couldn't possibly stay healthy for an entire season to save his life anymore. They had given a pretty big salary to Terry Rozier the previous offseason. And when you hear about a team giving big to very large contracts to two different guys, the first thought is, oof, that team is probably pretty cash-strapped going into the next one. Amazingly, they are not. Because the only other player on the roster who was making even a small sum of money was Cody Zeller, who was making $15.5 million this last year, and he is now a free agent. Everybody else that came off the books or even stays on the books is not making very much. Malik Monk is a free agent. He was making five mil, so that's, I guess, a little something. Bismack Biombo, who somehow is still in his 20s. That's impossible. Two and a half mil. Brad Wanamaker, two and a quarter. Devontae Graham uh, had a, a non-guaranteed salary this last year. I'm sure they'll try to bring him back, so he'll get a raise. Caleb Martin, small salary. Cody Martin, Jalen McDaniels, Vernon Carey. Like, all of these guys are... are those guys I just read off. Those guys are signed for next year. The one guy who's not that they would like to is Graham, as we just mentioned. So let's let's pencil Devontae Graham in for some sort of salary increase. But without him on the books, they're only at $81.5 million committed. This, by the way, is also a contract year for Terry Rozier. So they might end up moving him partway through the season if they feel like they don't if he's not uh, perhaps a part of their future rebuild. Although, let, let's be honest, he ended up being kind of a deal this last season, and I did not see that coming. Gordon Hayward they're stuck with for a while, and he was useful for them from a leadership standpoint, from an efficiency standpoint, so I think they'll be happy enough to have him kind of at the, the tip of the spear here and ushering the young guys along. But then the rest of the dudes on this team, the guys that were playing big minutes, LaMelo Ball on a rookie deal, P.J. Washington on a rookie deal. Miles Bridges on his rookie deal. This is, a, this is an affordable basketball team right now, which is great news for a number of things. First, we already kind of know what they want to do with those main guys. Gordon Hayward, he was going to be playing 34 minutes a game this season if he could stay on the court, but he only played 44 out of their 72 ball games. Litany of injuries, just like... The previous year, he played 52 out of 80, uh, 72. Uh, he was 
coming off the bench off that gruesome injury the previous season in Boston, so he wasn't really himself. And then the year before that, he just missed the entire year with that disgusting thing. That was back in 2017-2018. With Utah, he was actually pretty damn durable, and he just he hasn't been the same. Last four seasons, he really just hasn't been a reliably healthy player. You can, you can set your clock to Gordon Hayward. He's going to be a good field goal percent guy, good solid three-point percent dude. He's not going to take a ton of them, but he'll get you a couple. Good foul shooter, scores, boards, assists, doesn't get any defensive stats. Although this year somehow he bungled his way into 1.2 steals per game. I don't think we see that repeat itself. That was a bit over the usual mark for him. I know he's in the 1.2, 1.4 range in Utah. Uh, and I guess playing 34 minutes a game, that was that was part of it. But assuming he gets back to 1.2 is probably uh, not a safe one. Regardless, the point of all of this, as we just sort of embark upon talking about the Charlotte Hornets, is that Gordon Hayward, you couldn't possibly draft him in a head-to-head league because he isn't going to make it through the season. You could make an argument that he's worth drafting in Roto for a couple of reasons. Number one, I think people are going to remember this year as one where he was mostly hurt, and they may not remember it as one where he was quite good, fantasy-wise, when he was on the basketball court. I don't expect him to miss 28 ball games again this coming year. That, that's a really big number. Even an injury-plagued, dinged-up guy is still probably hoping to get inside the 20 games missed bucket. So let's put him at like 64 to 66 games played this coming season. If he's drafted after 50, which I'm guessing he will be, you can go. You can kind of go to the rankings of everybody this year and look at someone who had an ADP in the 40s, who missed 20 ball games? how did they perform overall? That guy is DeMar DeRozan. Uh, no, excuse me, that guy is not DeMar DeRozan. That guy is Lonzo Ball, who missed 17 games this year and was number 48 on a per-game basis. And we just talked about New Orleans at the beginning of the week. But Lonzo was number 60 by totals. So from a Roto standpoint, getting uh, effectively like 25% of a season on the shelf from a guy you draft in the 50s who overperforms his ADP on an average basis but underperforms on a games-played basis actually works out fine for games-capped Roto. For head-to-head, it's, a, it's an enormous pain in the neck because Hayward's going to have some two- to three-week absence in there that hurts your team, and if he misses games down the stretch, that hurts your team. And You guys don't need to go into hundreds of reasons why having a dinged-up player is awful for head-to-head, where it's less so in games-capped Roto. Of course, it's also possible that people saw Hayward when he was healthy out there as a top 40 guy, and that's where he ends up getting drafted, in which case I would say pass, because he isn't going any higher than that on a per-game basis, and he's not going to get to league average games played. I guess there's an outside shot that he does, but that's an ultimate best-case scenario, and when you're handicapping these players for fantasy, you're handicapping them based on expectations, not on what the perfect scenario might give you. Hayward, believe it or not, was only the second-best fantasy player on a per-game basis on the Hornets this year. And the man who took the cake for best fantasy season on the Hornets by a mile was Terry Rozier, who played in 69 of their 72 games at a top-40 clip. So you got ADP clobbering, because he was drafted in, like, the 90 to 115 range. You've got durability clobbering and 
a nice per game marker, which put him at number 17 on the year by totals. He was one of the most valuable fantasy picks uh, in in the league because of how late he was drafted and how he ended up as a second rounder on totals on the season. He's liable to get overdrafted this coming year. Not because I think he's going to take any kind of step back, but because this is about as good as it could possibly get. He had a great season in every way, shape, or form. This is a guy who, out his career, was a 41% field goal guy. Uh, takes about half of his shots from downtown. And over the last couple of seasons, he's actually been very good from three-point land. He's, he's shot 41 and then 39% from three the last two years on a pretty high volume. The big kicker for him this year was that Rozier shot 55, or excuse me, 51% from two, where in previous seasons he had never eclipsed 43 and a half. And that's a number to me, maybe it doesn't go all the way back down to 43 and a half, but sticking at 51 is a colossal leap. It's the DeAndre Hunter effect. Did he just get substantially better from two in his sixth NBA season? That's hard to stomach. My guess for a guy like Rozier is, yeah, sure, he can keep the volume up, get his 15, 16 shots per game, and he'll get his three-pointers, and he'll be a uh, mild positive free throw percent guy who was actually a mild positive steals guy all of a sudden. In, in a normal number of minutes, he's a guy who should get over one steal per game. Uh, assists are fine, rebounds are fine, turnovers are fine, but that field goal percent is going to dip. Not substantially, necessarily. It might, again, only go from 45 to, like, 44 or 43 and a half. But that's a big deal for someone who just barely got inside the top 40. If you turn field goal percent from a small negative into a big negative, you change him a lot. You drop him probably by a full round. So I expect Terry Rozier to get drafted inside the top uh, 50 this coming season. And the way he gets there again is, once again, being durable. So, yeah, he could actually hit it. I don't think someone, like, people I think are going to look at Terry Rozier and see the 38 per game, and that's probably closer to where he gets drafted than seeing the 17 by totals. I don't think he's going in the first three rounds because I think people are skeptical of what they saw this year, and they should, and they very much should be, but he's not going to lose out on a ton of his touches, plus contract year so even if you think he takes a step back particularly in field goal percent because that'll impact him there and points and threes he could take a step forward in free throw percent he's had a better year than 82 uh in the past the other stuff could stay relatively similar and you might again only see a drop back of like one round so instead of beginning of the fourth maybe he's a beginning of the fifth kind of draft pick if again, if he plays 75 games or more this coming year, he probably beats his ADP. So put Terry Rozier on the maybe gets a little overdrafted, but maybe not overdrafted enough, which is a weird way to frame it. Third on the Charlotte Hornets list of fantasy players this year was LaMelo Ball, who finished at number 73 by uh, averages, number 101 by totals because he missed 21 ball games. 
He doesn't strike me as someone who's as injury-prone as his brother. LaMelo hurt his thumb, remember, and actually came back a little early or right on time. And we saw, I mean, he is a brilliant young basketball player. Like, there's a reason why everyone is goo-goo-gaga over LaMelo Ball. He was awesome. You guys know how much I hate rookies in fantasy, and I was trying to get my hands on LaMelo Ball when we started to see him play. He, he leaps off the screen in a way that very few basketball players do. He is just faster, and he thinks quicker than a lot of the other guys on the basketball court. He's like a quarter step ahead of everyone. I, I think I've done this. I think I've told a story like this on the show before of when I worked in minor league baseball. It was so obvious who the guys were on the team that were definitely going to make the big leagues. They were always like, so a baseball roster is 25 players, and there were always like 15 where within the first four weeks of the season, even as a broadcast, you could look at them and you're like, this guy's got like a 1% chance of making the big leagues. Something dramatic is going to have to happen for them to turn the switch. And then there's like another five to eight players on the roster where you're like, this guy's got a shot. He's not going to get there playing like this, but there's something there, whether it's, you know, line drive ability offensively or glove work on defense. Or like there were, there were these little things you could see. And then there were always one or two guys on the team. And I, I don't know. It, it's such a touchy subject. I would have loved to have asked the other players on the team, are you seeing what I'm seeing from this guy? But you never want to ask uh, like a 22-year-old kid who's trying to live his dream and get to the big leagues. You never want to ask a kid like that, hey, what about this other guy? Minor league baseball players, as I'm sure everybody trying to rise through the ranks of a very difficult thing, don't really want to be interviewed about their contemporaries. It's not like they're all at the top. Once you're a big leaguer, you can talk about your contemporaries because you made it. When you're all grinding together, you want to talk about yourself. And that's fair. So this is always a touchy subject for me, but I would have loved to have known, and the only way I think I could would be to go find one of these dudes after they retire and say, hey, did you see what I saw? The ones that I'll never forget, the ones that I'll never forget, three players I saw in the minors that went on to sort of differing big league careers so far, but all of them longtime big leaguers. Those three guys were, uh, in order of how I saw them, Justin Upton, uh, Sergio Romo, and Max Scherzer. And I don't know if you guys follow baseball all that closely, but Justin Upton is an outfielder, Romo is a, was for a long time a closer, and Max Scherzer... Uh, a starting pitcher. And I didn't I didn't pick him because it was three guys who did different things. I picked him because I will never forget as a young broadcaster at the time. And I saw all of these guys within my first two years of working as a play-by-play man in the minors. Something was just different that made your eyebrows go up. With Upton, I remember watching him in his second, uh, the second game I watched him in. The first one, I think I was just running around trying to get like hot dogs and Cokes for people because, you know, wasn't a full-time broadcaster. But when I actually got on air and I watched him, he took a swing and I think it was a change-up and I heard this loud kapow when he hit it. And I thought, oh my God, 
And I looked up, and it was a pop-up. But the pop-up was like 50 feet higher than any pop-up I'd ever seen in my life. And I went, this is nuts. Guys that make contact with a baseball, it shouldn't sound like that unless there's something different. And with Sergio Roma, I remember his slider. The first time I saw him throw a slider, it was against the team that I was working for at the time. He threw a pitch that out of his hand, and I'm in the press box looking down, it looked like it was going to hit the batter, and it just slowly turned like some four invisible hand was moving the ball, not in a way that a spin should do. It was like, oh, it's going that way? Nope. And then with Scherzer, it was, again, it was a sound. He threw a fastball. It looked like the ball stayed attached to his arm for a, a fraction of a second and then just exploded. It was like the ball wasn't traveling in a normal path on a normal velocity. It was like the ball was stopped and then it was just past people and it hit the catcher's glove with this loud kerthwack. By the way, uh, each one of those guys spent, well, Romo spent like a full year in, in A-ball, but I think Upton spent a month and I think Scherzer spent like four weeks in A-ball. Uh, so yeah, obviously I wasn't the only one who saw it, but it was just something, and I used this very long tangential story to talk about LaMelo Ball. I'm not there to hear what's happening, but I watch these games on TV. I watch as many games from as many different teams as humanly possible during a fantasy season, and LaMelo Ball has that thing where you watch him play, and within like a few moments, you're like, oh, that guy's interesting. He just jumps a little bit higher. He gets off the floor a little bit quicker. His passes are a little bit faster. He throws them a tiny bit before other guys see those lanes. He was number 73 on a per-game basis this year while shooting 43.5% from the field and 75.8% at the free-throw line. That is infinite upside. And the problem, of course, is that if you're trying to go get LaMelo Ball on Fantasy Draft Day, you and everybody else, you're going to have to go way up the board to get this kid. But here's the thing. It might be worth it. Because if his field goal percent creeps up from 43.5 to 45 and some odd, and if his free throw percentage creeps from 76 up to 78 or 79 or even 80, and everything else goes with it, 13 shots becomes 14 or 15 shots, everything moves together. What I'd like to sort of remind everybody, because Ball tried to come back and he, he wasn't at full strength the last little bit of the year. Uh, LaMelo also wasn't a starter the first, I think it was about a month, at the beginning of the year. So if you take off him coming back from injury and you take off the beginning of this season where he wasn't a starter and LaMelo had consistent every moment minutes, he was number 43 for about a 30-game sample in the middle of the year. It was not crazy either. 18 points, 5.5 boards, 6 assists, 2 threes, 1.7 steals, 47% from the field, 82% at the free throw line, and he will get better most likely on offense. You will see assists get higher as they give him even more control. You will see scoring go higher as he gets more shots in the flow of the offense. 
Downside would be Terry Rozier, Gordon Hayward. Uh, if they're healthy, they're going to get a decent chunk of shots. So those three guys are all going to be kind of vying to be the one. Uh, but LaMelo Ball is the future of that basketball team. Whatever else they want to try to throw at us, he's the guy. He is a future superstar and possibly even a second-year all-star. That's how exciting he is. So, yeah, if someone's like, you can have LaMelo Ball in the fourth round, I'm doing it. Because I trust, actually, that he'll stay healthier this year. I don't think the freak accident is coming. I don't think you can handicap for a freak injury. What I saw was outside of the freak injury, he was extraordinarily durable this year, and that's good. A game here, a game there, that's fine. If he's getting drafted in the 30s, I'm a bit skeptical. But you give me him in the 4th, you give me him 37 through 48, which I realize is part of the 30s, certainly the second half of that chunk, I'm in. Young guy that I'm excited about. And if he doesn't get better, who cares? You'll have one of the most exciting players in the NBA on your team, and he might underperform by, like, a round at, in my estimation, probably the absolute worst-case scenario. He's something, man. That's appointment viewing. Hornets actually did a nice job. They had two other players that were inside the top 100 on a per-game basis, so we got to cover those guys before we can wrap things up. And then I also want to talk about another angle on this team, First of all, P.J. Washington, who I'll admit I was down on at the beginning of this year because they kept saying he was going to play center, and then he just didn't until Cody Zeller and Bismack Biombo both ended up going down, and then they had no choice but to play him at center, and then, ta-da, everything was golden because he was able to do other stuff to wipe out the, the ugly because there is some ugly with P.J. Washington. He shot 44% from the field and 75 at the free throw line. He has the same percentages as rookie LaMelo Ball. Not good, basically. You'd expect him to be worse at a free throw uh, clip and then much better from the field. But P.J.'s taken a lot of his shots from downtown also. Still, you got to like the steals and blocks combination. Rebounds and threes is a nice combination. And he's still quite young. P.J. hadn't been around that long, guys. It's, I know this is like one of those things that's sort of hard to remember because it feels like fantasy-wise we've talked about him for a while, but this was only his second year in the NBA. And field goal percent went down. Free throw percent went up by 10. There's more there. I don't think he's going to be a 44% shooter over his entire career. I know a lot of three-pointers are coming at him, uh, but he shot just 48% from two this season, and for a guy who was playing power forward and center... That's a number that can easily go up. And I'm inclined to make P.J. Washington one of my favorite plays going into this coming season on one condition. And that condition is that Charlotte doesn't sign a full-time center. If that condition doesn't hold, well, then I'm going to make whatever center they sign one of my favorite picks this season. Like, what if Charlotte brings in Nerlens Noel to play 25 minutes a game at center? Give him the Cody Zeller and Bismack minutes. Give him Cody Zeller's 21 and like five of whatever Bismack was picking up and let PJ play the other 22-ish, whatever, at center. Then you've still got a decent PJ Washington and you've got a great Nerlens or someone along those lines. I don't, I don't know what they're going to do at big man. But right now, they don't have a center on the roster that they actually trust besides small ball PJ Washington. 
And then Jalen McDaniels was playing some uh, small ball or big ball four, I guess, in such a lineup. But when healthy, Gordon Hayward is probably playing the four. Because he's not super fast anymore. Although, I, I mean, they could run Hayward at the three. But if they bring in a big man, well, Miles Bridges is also on that board. Bridges is your four. Hayward's your three. You could flip-flop him if you really needed to. Whatever. What do we call on these guys? It doesn't matter. Rozier and Ball in the backcourt. If they re-sign Devontae Graham, he's the guy coming off the bench. Blah, 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 blah. If they sign a center to start, that pushes P.J. Washington probably to the bench, which then doesn't make him one of my favorite fantasy players on the board anymore. Again, as it stands right now, P.J. Washington is one of my favorite fantasy players on the board. He's going to be a late-round pick, most likely, who has a ton of playing time upside with stats set upside if he's playing big center minutes. That's the critical point. Also of note, what do we make of Miles Bridges and his massive surge when everyone else on this team was hurt? Rozier, Hayward, Ball, Washington. I mean, everyone was out. There was a stretch where Miles Bridges was the only man standing on this team. And give the dude credit, he managed 66 out of their 72 ball games. Uh, and this season, that's a big win. Here's the weird thing about Miles. His field goal percent jumped from 42 to 50 last year to this year, while his field goal attempts dropped from 11.5 to 9.5. His free throw percent also increased from 81 to 87. His rebounding went up, his assists went up, and his steals and blocks pretty much stayed the same while his minutes went down by almost two. It was a very weird year for Miles Bridges, but absolutely one where he went from being an outsider in the fantasy game to one who figured out the confidence part of the equation. And over the last two-ish months of the NBA season, we could go like mid-March to mid-April, Miles Bridges was a top 50 fantasy player. And over the last month, he was a top 30 fantasy player. Unfortunately, the top 30 thing is not going to hold because a lot of these other guys are going to come back. And top 50 is actually pushing it as well because at that point he was taking 12 shots a game and shooting 51% on them. I don't know that we can count on that. But if this team doesn't sign a center, and honestly, even if they do, Bridges is still going to get a lot of playing time. The question in my mind with Miles is, if Gordon Hayward is taking 14 shots a game and LaMelo's getting 15 and Rozier is getting 15 or 16 and P.J. Washington is getting a dozen and Devontae Graham is still around and taking 10 or 11 shots a game, what does that really leave? Could he, get, could he break 10 shots a game? Could he get up to a dozen, which is where he was at when he was in the top 50? Miles Bridge is probably the one guy on Charlotte that I look at and say, this guy is almost definitely going to be overdrafted in all formats, and will have a very hard time hitting his mark in all formats. Not because he wasn't awesome the second half of the year, but actually specifically because he was awesome the second half of the year. And everybody saw it. Rim-rattling jams that brought the damn roof down in every arena he visited. He was also appointment viewing for a while. That catches attention. And suddenly he was actually a positive percentages guy over that stretch, which 
I don't know, maybe are people paying as close attention to that? They are definitely not. We know that about fantasy players. But overall, I don't, like, on a per-game basis, there's almost no chance he's inside the top 50 again this coming year, provided the Hornets have some measure of health. By totals, I guess it's a possibility, because he's been, uh, I guess, relatively durable. 65 out of 72 games last year, 66 out of 72 this year, 80 out of 82 his first season, but he also only played 21 minutes a game that year. So he gets like a half credit. He's been mostly durable. And the Hornets now, they're a team that fancies themselves a playoff club. So the guys that are good enough to play, they're going to try to play. They're a really good team to back this coming season because they're hungry. They are hungry. They want a real playoff game this coming year. So LaMelo's going to go full bore. Rozier, contract year, playoff run. Miles Bridges, P.J. Washington, even Hayward, who's going to miss a bunch of games. But again, on the Roto side, you're going to get some pretty good stuff out of him. Big fan of the Charlotte Hornets Hornets this coming year from the narrative perspective and from the fantasy perspective. And I'm not really interested in anybody else on the club. Quickly now to recap the Charlotte Hornets. Miles Bridges, probably a little bit overdrafted. Good for head-to-head because of mostly durable. Terry Rozier, going to get drafted a lot higher than last year, but it might still not be quite high enough Also quite durable. Good for head-to-head. P.J. Washington, a little bit less durable. I think will be underdrafted in both head-to-head and roto. So I would probably target him everywhere, provided they don't bring in a center to play big minutes. Devontae Graham, I would probably leave him on the outside looking in. He's outside the top 100, but a punt field goal percent team. That's a guy you target uh, after pick 100. Gordon Hayward, roto, maybe. Head-to-head, no. And LaMelo Ball, yeah, screw it. Just roll the dice, man, because it's going to be awesome. That'll be a freaking wing-ding if you have him. And there's a real chance he doesn't hit his ADP, which I know is a stupid thing to say and then say I want to draft him. But he's like, he's one of the few basketball players I've seen come around in about 20 years of playing fantasy sports where I've been like, yep, I just kind of want to have that guy on my team because I want to watch his games more often and have a reason to root for him to go bananas. Still, yeah, you're going to have to pay for it, and you're probably going to take a hit. You're going to have to take a small hit. As I said before, where I draw the line is, I refuse to take that small hit in the third round or earlier. Those are guys where I need them to be locked in. If I get him in the fourth round and take a small hit, my team can handle it because he's so good in so many things that you can make up for it elsewhere. Uh, And if he falls any farther than that, you can color me some weird fuchsia i don't know what color you can paint me because i don't believe that it's true i don't think he falls past pick 45 in next year's draft there's almost no chance hop back into the hoop ball loyalty program everybody if you want to start betting with our buddies at my bookie holler at me i will open your account and make your first deposit how's that for cool i'm dan Bespris. you can find me on twitter at D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. 50 off-season episodes in the tank. 51 coming up on Monday. Have a great weekend, everybody. We will talk to you then.
This has been a Hoop Ball presentation.